Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your Metza. We are going to be saluting one of Minnesota's greatest entertainers, a comedian, actor, author, and game show host, Louis Anderson, who passed away at the age of 68, January 21st. We've got three great guests on who have worked with Louis, knew him personally, as well as I had the, the chance to meet him when he was first starting out. And so we're going to be uh, sharing tonight's show with Liz Winstead, Martin Keller, and Jeff Gerbino. Liz Winstead is the co-creator and former head writer of The Daily Show and co-founder of Air America Radio. She helped change the uh, very landscape of how people get their news. She's also an author, and she spends a lot of her time in New York City helming the Abortion Access Front, an exclusive New York City-based reproductive rights organization that she founded in 2015. Liz, how are you tonight? It's so good to hear your, your voice again. I'm, I'm, I'm good to be with you. I'm glad to be with you. Great to hear you. And just sad that, you know, we're here, ta- you know, talking about Louie in the past tense, but also... Um, as I was saying to somebody earlier, I think a lot of times when 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 you hear tributes of famous people, uh, you don't often hear from the people who knew them intimately or knew them that could really bring to light who they were as a person, as people. Um, and I'm glad that we're able to do that for Louis with people who loved him, know him, and can really share stories about who he was as a man. Yes, and he was a hell of a man. We have one of his good friends with us along with Liz Winstead tonight, Marty Keller. Marty's an author, a former pop culture journalist. He's written two books, Hijinks and Hearsay, A Nice History of the uh, Minneapolis Rock and Roll and Comedy Scene, which features some nice stuff about Louie Anderson. And he's also written a, a book that came out recently called The Space Pen Club, All About UFOs. Marty, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Paul. Thanks for uh, gathering us together to, to talk about Louis. I'm looking forward to it. Let's uh, hear a little bit of Louis before we get into it, just kind of to remind us what a uh, great personality he was. I stayed at one uh, house of some friends, and I didn't know they had dolls. They had a room full of dolls. I was staying in it. They showed me the They opened the door. You'll be in this room. <laughs> All the dolls had the same teeth as me. And just like me, when you lay them down, their eyes close. Did you ever stay at someone's house and they are trying to say it's a bed that you're going to sleep on? It's a day bed. Well, it's night right now, though. The cat sleeps on it. Not tonight. The cat doesn't sleep on it. No. I couldn't go to sleep. The dolls were all... I had to finally... I finally had to bring them all in the bed and lay them all down to get their eyes to close. 
Yeah, that was the great Louis Anderson. I had the pleasure of meeting Louis my very first gig in Minneapolis. I sold tickets at Dudley Riggs, etc., on Seven Corners. And Louis did some of his first shows there. I remember he opened up for satirist Paul Krasner. He might have even opened up for Henny Youngman. So I got to see him. He was starting out, and it was so fun to watch his rise. Liz, when, Liz Winstead, when did you first meet Louis? I met Louis. He, um, I mean, I met him years ago before I started doing comedy, um, just briefly um, over when he was performing at Mickey Finn's. Um, and I really met him when he was doing, um, you know, the, 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 it was Joel and Jeff, the comedy all-stars over at Dudley Riggs. And, um, I, I had met them, him then. Um, but it was really after he had moved away and come back. Um, and I was starting to grow as a comedian in the Twin Cities that, um, I really, um, met Louis because he was always at the clubs. He was always looking at new people, always coming in and always just, incredibly supportive and sweet and 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 i remember always thinking like why is somebody this famous being nice to me (laughs) 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 he was a real guy yeah well he was nice to me and i was just selling tickets you know (laughs) marty when did you meet louis anderson marty keller well you know i I first encountered Louie as a journalist uh, writing at uh, City Pages and quite a few stories about him. Uh, eventually became friends with him, which is, a you know, a when you cross that line, you've broken one of the rules of journalism, never become friends with the people you're writing about. But pretty hard to resist uh, Louie Anderson. Uh, he was a charming Way funny guy, even funnier off stage than on, and uh, he could go places obviously off stage that he would never talk about on and during his um, stand up act. And then I also did some uh, publicity in in the Minnesota area over the past ten years when he would do kind of one off shows in the Twin Cities to try new material or um, uh, you know just get his chops. Uh, a lot of those were at uh, area clubs, like in Maple Grove and um, uh, Shakopee and places like that. So it was a thrill for, for people in those communities to see a A-lister comic working in their backyard, if you will. Well, I uh, had the pleasure of seeing his show just two or three years ago. Jeff Maritko, a good buddy of mine. They had a place called Moe's in Moundsview, and Louis came on. I believe it was probably a Scott Hansen gig, and uh, we had the nicest uh, dinner afterwards. And uh, fame never changed the guy. Liz, talk about what that uh, the comedy scene, when you got involved, and how powerful it was and where all those guys ended up. I mean, they all, a lot of them became... Uh, really had a place in the national comedy scene. Yeah, I mean, I started out uh, 1982, I think it was, or three, maybe. I, I always forget. Um, and, you know, the Dudley Riggs was dominating, and Scott Hansen was just starting the comedy gallery, and um, Scott Navani and Stephanie Hodge had the, the um, comedy cabaret over on 28th Street. And it was 
there was so many comedy rooms that had um, amateur night or open open stage or open mic night where you could get up and do material. And the first time I ever set foot on stage, Jeff Cesario was the host of the open mic night at Dudley Griggs. And um, I remember him saying, you know, you had some pretty funny stuff there. And I, I was just blown away because you just run on true adrenaline. Um, sure. But I and I think one of the things that I and, I and I bet Marty can speak to this, too. But one of the things that was so incredible about this Minneapolis comedy scene was there was so much there was so much support and there were so many places to work that you could hide out here and develop your act. Um, and while you were growing as a comic, you could try things out. You could get your sea legs. You could develop your confidence. You know, out of the sort of limelight of having to go to one of the coasts like many other people had to do, and then people would come through. You would start befriending um, national-level comedians. And um, so when you were ready to move, you would have somebody and a, a community of people who could help you um, get on the open mics and and get some stage time in L.A. or New York or wherever you choose choose to go. And for me, when Louis would come back in town, he would hang out at the clubs and 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 saw me develop and was always just so sweet and saying you know keep at it. And so when I got my first headlining gig at the Comedy Gallery, he flew in and put his name on the flyer as my opening act so that oh, people nice. would come and see my shows. You know and. Like that's just the way the dude was, and it wasn't. It wasn't. He just wanted to, you know. And it, it's just, I just can't say enough about. Except for that, I just wish I saw him more. And and you know, I just yeah. That's really. It was an incredible community that can't be undersold, as a place that really churned out incredible talent. In fact, people moved here. Um, Harmon Leon and Joni Marchenko and. There was people who moved to Frank Conniff, people who moved to the Twin Cities so they could develop in front of audiences um, and get well, better. And, of course, uh, we also fondly remember the late, great Scott Hansen, who was such a prime mover in the comedy scene. When I uh, I used to bump into Tom Arnold at, at night at 22nd and Lindale at Super America, and we both knew we were in the entertainment business, and then we bumped into each other at a... Uh, benefit on Ford Parkway for some union gig and I got to be really tight with Tom and so I was able to watch a lot of that early 80s stuff happen I was there the night uh, Tom opened and uh, met Roseanne Barr and we know kind of and how that worked out. And stole my car for three days let me just <laughs> um, tell us that story my, Liz Winston oh my gosh so if you'll remember that night, I was uh, hosting that, and I was I was hosting that show, and Tom was and Roseanne was the headliner, and Tom was the middle act, and Tom was also um, middling for I think it was Jay Leno or somebody else at the Rip Place over on Nicollet. So Tom okay. was going back the and mar- forth. market barbecue, market barbecue, market barbecue. So Tom was going back and forth and said, can I use your car? And I foolishly said, yes. (laughs) And then he and Roseanne at the end of the run um, were like, I think we like each other and liked each other a lot for about three days and stole my car. And I finally was like pounding down 
um, Tom to get my car and my car keys back from like, I think like at the Hilton downtown. It was insane. <laughs> well, I remember, uh, did you ever have the pleasure of parting at Cross from the CC Club? Oh, the Bohemian the- Club. Yes, they called their he- house the Bohemian Club because all of the furniture was made out of cases of Bohemian Club, empty Bohemian Club beer. They built a, <laughs> like, stereo thing for their TV, a coffee table. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, and, and I, I wanted one- to, to go back to something Liz said about uh, Twin Cities being kind of a ground zero comedy and, and people coming here. Not only did the, peop- the the wannabes come here, but the people who were well-established over the years, like Robin Williams, would come mm-hmm. here to do club gigs because the Twin Cities had a reputation as being one of the, having some of the smartest uh, comedy IQ audiences in the country. I mean, it's it, it had that reputation. That's no BS. And the fact that guys like Robin Williams or... Uh, uh, I think Leno did a few of those gigs, and some of these other guys would come here, including Louie, would come back and, and try new stuff and hang out in the clubs. And It speaks highly of the culture we had here, in that uh, not only in the 80s, but extended into the aughts. It's so well, and- true, Marty. And I have to say that like one of the things that I think made it so special, and I don't know that anybody has captured you know, the lightning in a bottle, the way it happened here. But as a performer, it was so, and I don't know if it's just because Minnesotans generally want to give you a chance, but you would fail joke by joke. It wasn't like (laughs) you bombed outright. You would bomb joke by joke. People are like, no, I don't think so, but what else you got? You know, in like, (laughs) oh, I'm still here and I'm not getting, you know, stuff thrown at me. And um, it was it was an incredible it's incredible to think about audiences being like that now or thinking about civility now. And and it's just the whole world is so different now. But but when you're trying to, um, you know, take somebody's dollars and say you're going to make them laugh, um, the fact that you were just given such an opportunity to win people over um, is speaks volumes just of folks in Minnesota, too. Well, and and you created a great launching pad for yourself, Liz Winstead. And I know when you come back and you've played the sold-out shows at the Parkway Theater, uh, people really adore Liz Winstead. Like all of the, 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 all the folks that will be talking tonight adored, uh, you know, Louis Anderson. I remember, you know, the Bohemian Club, they had one piece of art on the wall, and it was a burnt pizza nailed to the wall. But I remember Liz Winstead having a couple parties at your apartment in Kenwood, <laughs> yeah. and uh, which were which were always a blast. But I'm telling you what, uh, you know, musicians can be tough on each other. But boy, those comedians, man, you get out of the room for a minute, and you better watch your back when you come back in. But Louis seemed to have didn't have that killer instinct that a lot of those comedians did. Would you agree with that, Liz? I would say, I mean, Louis Louis had a tremendous dark side when he needed to be, you know. Well, well, tell us about it. Tell us about it. I mean, just really in a fun way, he'd be, you know, but it was part of that passive-aggressive thing where it's like, do you suppose he thought about wearing that at all, going out? How much time do you suppose he put into wearing that? What do you think? 
you know, like always like just like this kind of like opening up this side thing of passerby, <laughs> like, you know, he would do it in his act about his parents, you know, like, right. look at that, you know, but Louis himself would have that too. And just having like just one little subtle, um, like really smart, funny thing that would just open up a whole can of worms that was hilarious. <laughs> Marty, would you agree? Yeah, you know, I think Louis was a master of snark, and it was yes. very abbreviated snark, but it was so effective because, it cut, you know, there was no bullshit around it. It went went right to the heart of the matter, and it was usually, you know, something he would utter or mutter under his breath, but you could hear it. And, uh, you know, he didn't mince any words. Economy was, was, uh, was a huge uh, value for him, and he leveraged that. Time and again, whether he was offering a personal opinion or improvised. Oh, Marty, so yeah. true. The man could he would his brevity and his choice of words. He wasn't he wasn't one to ramble. You know, like some comics are really funny when they're just like you know you look at a, someone like Lewis Black, right? Who's kind of getting to the point is part of the persona. With Louis, he he was so judicious with every word and. And the one thing that I and I, I often say about Louis, one of the things that I love the most about him and his comedy was that there is an amount of confidence and bravery that it takes to pause on stage as a comedian. And Louis had so much confidence in his storytelling and was so good at it and understood that a pause could be so brilliant for effect and he didn't have fear in silence. And I love that so much about his performances. I think, I think that's exactly right. You know, Louis was a student of the great uh, American comedy masters, starting with Jack Benny and Jonathan Winters, uh, folks like that from the 60s that we all grew up watching on Ed Sullivan, most likely, or Red Skelton. But he really studied those guys. He uh, was a great craftsman. Even, you know, in his later years, he would tape record his stand-up acts and listen to it back in the hotel room later and sort of do a a self-critique, a download on, uh, well, this joke bombed or this sucked or I have to redo this. And so he, he was a, uh, he was a discipline, um, a discipline artist that way. And he really, you know, if you watch any old Jack Benny, uh, programs, you can see, where Louis took a lot of Benny's uh, skills at timing, facial expressions primarily, <clears throat> which were all very endearing to audiences as they were, uh, as as Louis proved time and again with his audiences. Marty, did you uh, you've actually spent some time with Louis out in California or Las Vegas? Where exactly uh, did you did you spend one on one time with uh, Louis Anderson? Well, I spent a lot of time with Louie in L.A. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I never spent any time with him in Vegas. <clears throat> Excuse me, he's lived there for uh, he had lived there for for many years, and I, I just never got around to visiting him there. But I also spent a lot of quality time with him when he li- when uh, he would visit here and when he still lived here. I mean, we uh, we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of good times together. He was a uh, wonderful person just to hang out with because number one uh he was he was a great listener and number two he he really had insights into people including 
you know, anyone he was around, he was almost kind of a uh, a lawn chair shrink, if you will. He was he uh, he could analyze people pretty quickly, and his I won't say judgment, but his analysis of you was always very uh, very much from the heart. He never meant to hurt any anybody with things he would say negatively, although I'm sure there's some other comics around the country that would say, well, that's not exactly true. But, uh, well, I would, also, I would also suggest that people go back and track down the two shows that Mark Maron uh, played that when he had uh, Louis on twice. Marty, we're going to have to run here in a bit. Liz Winstead, thank you for your time. Liz, give us a uh, uh, 30-second, uh, how do you think Louis will be remembered in the comedy world? I think Louis be, will be remembered in the comedy world as somebody who was a consistent force in stand-up, who brought his own brand and who brought his own take. Um, he'll be remembered as one of a kind, and he'll be remembered as somebody who really took risks. Louis wasn't afraid when you look at his stand-up and, and taking risks on things that you know were new to him whether it was animation, whether it was doing a game show, whether it was doing baskets. Louis did what he loved, and consistently through all of that, stand-up was at the forefront. Liz Winstead, Marty Killer, thank you so much for your time tonight. We've got to get to Jeff Durbino here, but thanks you so much for your time, and Louis Anderson, a rest in peace. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Welcome back to the last set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We have on the line one of the foremost comedians in the Twin Cities for years. He was called by the St. Paul Pioneer Press, one of the, found, the founding father of the Twin Cities comedy scene. But before we get to Jeff Gerbino, we're going to hear a little bit more about Louie Anderson, who are we saluting in tonight's episode. Is the chicken free range? What does that even mean? It means they get to run free, Louie. Before they kill him? That seems crueler to me. The chickens in the coop are trying to warn her, You're living a lie, Betty! Not me, I'm free range! trying to kill you, Betty. You're just jealous, because I'm a big, free-range chicken. <laughs> God, we miss that guy. Jeff Trebino, it's so nice that you took time with us tonight to chat. You've had quite a career yourself over the years, but you were at ground zero in the Minneapolis comedy scene. When I read about Mickey Fence, I lived in Northeast for 20 years. Mickey Fence had been gone by then. Where exactly was Mickey Fence? Mickey Fence right on the corner of Fourteenth uh, uh, and uh, University. Okay. okay. Uh, there used to be a place called McNamara's across the street, which uh, the last time I was up there was for Scott Hansen's funeral, so it wasn't that long ago. And I was stunned; I hadn't been in that area in years. And I went back to it, and they had completely vacated 
fins, what used to be fins, or University Bar, I think they called it at one time, and they even switched it to Union Bar, which was the moniker we all used for it back in the day. It's in the AFL-CIO building uh, on that corner. And uh, yeah. now it's all shopified. It's all jetified. Oh, my God. Not only had they taken out everything in fins, and I was a lot more room than there used to be. We could have used some of that space. But across the street were these you know, pretty much luxury condos. And I remember they, yeah. there used to be a white a white castle and a Greek steakhouse, okay? And oh, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, I bought of, from it there. was a working class neighborhood. You know, it was blue. Oh, color. yeah. I've had a couple of beers at, at Max. In fact, uh, ba- Bob McNamara, uh, the son of the owner, uh, helped me sell my house in Northeast just a few months ago. So, Jeff, let's talk about Mickey Fins and the beginning of the comedy scene in Minneapolis, and how and when did you meet Louis Anderson? Well, I started, I planted the flag in January of 78, and I was very lucky in that the very first gig I, I ever had, I mean, it was a contest before that that sort of led into this, but uh, it was, I got, I got paid. Oh, my God, I made 25 bucks. And uh, we did that every week, and I was like the, the Johnny Appleseed of comedy. I had to go around huh. and see if those people who had signed up for the contest wanted to try it again. Many didn't. It was a one-time thing. And I just basically, uh, it was Bill Bauer was one of the first people to come down, and then Scott Hansen shortly after him in March. And then in October of 78, uh, a rather jolly fellow came up to me, uh, stars in his eyes, and said, hey, man, I want to do this. And I said, really? We could use people. Yeah, we we could do that. And... uh, of course, it was very ill-fated what happened in the next week. Uh, the local PBS, KTCA, ca- had come down to uh, tape us because we were becoming a little bit of a phenomenon there in northeast Minneapolis. Louis proceeded to bring down every friend he ever had in the world. <laughs> and I remember Bill Bogle. Right. We can't seat these people. We can't seat these. They're going to ruin the taping. You know, they're going to come here <laughs> to, to cheer for him. And, of course, they invaded the room, and it was a combination of our people on the outside, Louis' people on the inside, who welcomed him <laughs> as conquering hero, and the rest of us fought for laughs all night long. And we, we crucified him for that uh, in the coming months, especially when he learned that <laughs> it's not so easy once your friends aren't in the audience anymore. Right. <laughs> but that was how we first met him. We did not do it at that time. And Louis knew you it, and he was the consummate, how should we say, Dale Carnegie-type. And he sure. slowly, slowly lowered his head and uh, kind of apologized for what he did that night. And uh, he got back into our good and we soon became fast friends. And uh, it was we were, you know, it was like me and the three musketeers, you know, it was us against the world. You know, it was only uh-huh. six or seven of us in the beginning. And it was really the core group of three or four or five of us, you know, Scott Hanson, Louis Anderson, myself, uh, Bill Bauer and Alex Cole. And there's. An iconic photo of the five of us that's been printed and reprinted. It's in the book, uh, Funny Thing About Minnesota, uh, that's out about the history of comedy in the Twin Cities. It's a flawed thing, uh, but it's at least it's documented, you know? What did you, uh, what, what did you glean from some of those first Louis Anderson performances? Did you really feel like, no, this, this guy's got it? Well, that, that came later. Uh, that came as we got into 1979, and it was January, and things. It was always a little let down after the holiday period, but our crowds were starting to pick up. One night there was these obnoxious hecklers in, in the crowd, and I had slammed them pretty good. I'm 
coming from the East Coast originally, I'm, and I, I hit when hit, and I hit back harder, you know. And uh-huh. I was getting tired of them. And I say, hey, Louie, I want you to finish up the show tonight. And uh, Scott Hansen had been emceeing, and he was always a little edgy in that role. And Louie knew how to ingratiate himself to me, and I thought, oh, let's see if he could emcee the second half tonight, because Scott didn't want any part of it. And he went on, and he proceeded to <laughs> lambaste these guys. And one of them eventually raised his hands up in the air in a surrendering motion and said, <laughs> all right, I'm done. I'm sorry I ever picked on fat guys when I was in high school. <laughs> Louis well, you know, singled him out as the big bully who had tortured him all his life. And Louis proceeded <laughs> to unload, and I mean unload mercilessly. And his friend moved another table away. That's how bad he was getting immolated. And, uh, and after Fantastic. that, I started to go. I think Louis. I think Louis got it. Oh, you know, cool! He, was, uh, he showed a he showed a reserve, uh, an ability to ad lib. Uh, he showed an ability to roll with it, and he even finished it up pretty good. He goes, "All right, buddy, you know, I guess I can leave you alone now." And then he went right back to ripping him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jeff, what uh, did you bring? Some national acts at some point into Mickey Finn's, or did that come a little yeah, later? Yeah, we well, we were there was a place at times that the real big names would come to called the Carlton Celebrity Room in Bloomington. Sure, I remember that. I we do. would make films there once. Yeah. Yeah, we put pilgrimage to uh, David Brenner, who who didn't want to meet us backstage because he was tired of something. And later, I would meet Brenner, and, and he was a, he was a nice guy. I never was a big fan of the act, but we tried to get him. We didn't work so hot. Uh, but Rodney Dangerfield came, and we gave great homage. And I would like to thank the weird scheduling because they used to open on a weekend there, and then they mm-hmm. would sort of roll in through the next week, which would leave a Monday open. And we found that out. And we just created a show. It was a place called Corks at the base of the Fauché Tower, where Alex Cola yes. told me. Alex Cola told me that might be a good room. And we had talked to the people there. And then I ran down there and said, how'd you like to have Rodney Dangerfield come down? He wants to see us. Mickey Finn's, we didn't have a Monday night show. So we literally created one. And we told everybody we knew at Finn's to come on down. And that was that turned out to be a huge break in Louie's life and a pretty good break for me, too. That you know, night, I, uh, he treated Rodney like a a star, you know, and, uh, and, and eventually a relationship developed there for us, you know, and, uh, that night, uh, I didn't even ask Rodney to go on stage. Wouldn't think of it. You know, we treated him like the star he was. He was there with a woman from the Carlton room who was the publicist and we were all completely professional. I told everybody to stay away from him. And, uh, I talked to him a few times during the night. And then as I was saying good night to the crowd, Rodney stood up. And needless to say, <laughs> what happened then was magic, you know. Oh, and my God. Walked on the stage, and for the next 30, 35 minutes, everybody in that room was the happiest person on earth because they knew they were in the hottest, coolest place to be right then. And comedy was starting to pop in the Twin Cities. And the great compliment came was, great job. He mentioned everyone by name, but then he, Louis had been the last act of the night. And he said, and that last guy was too good. Oh, wow. So already the bridge was being built, you know, <laughs> there. And, of course, well, later on, uh, Rodney would use him in a young comedian special, um, along with some other friends of mine, Bob Saget and Sam Kinison, who came along. Rodney would uh, book me. I went out on my honeymoon in 19, November of 79. I was able to be a busman's holiday and work Rodney's room. He always let wow. me work his room and paid me paid me way better than the New York comics. And, 
yeah, it was a good relationship that lasted over time. Rodney was the kind of, he eventually come see us at Mickey Finn's too. Um, and there's know, pictures I, of me with him at Mickey Finn's and, uh, and there's sh- shots of us, uh, take him by the late Steve Bell, who was uh, kind of like our court reporter. He could come down and take pictures of us and there was people hanging out with us. That's how we knew it was getting hot. And, you know, next thing you know, we were starting to sign autographs and Louis signing autographs and I was signing autographs and, and people were uh, lining up to see us and they weren't barking about a $3 cover charge. And then we bumped it up to a $5 charge. <laughs> and Louis was uh, Louis was a mover and a shaker and all that, you know, and he'd give flowers to the ladies when they came in. He was a consummate uh, uh, host, you know, uh, come in. And we, considering it was a dumpy bar in northeast Minneapolis that union guys hung out at after hours, uh, we tried to elevate it, you know, and, and for a while we did. You know, and Louie was a big, big part of that. He was he was always there, you know, pushing us upward. And uh, I could always rely on him. And we did shows in other places. The Artist Quarter was another place. Williams Pub was another place. Sure. We did uh, we did a whole lot of rooms uh, back then. And uh, I was usually the leader heading into them. And we'd go in and do our thing. And sometimes outstate Minnesota, too. But it was all brand new. And we were, we were part of a very unique thing. And Louie and I, we kind of sensed that. You know, and we also know that you worked against yourself a little, too, because of the fact that oh, no one hardly knew it. They only knew that five minutes a night, a comedian walked out on The Tonight Show at, at about 11.05 Twin Cities time, you know, and uh, that's about yeah. all they knew from stand-up. And we were you know, doing show two hours, you know, two-hour length. You know, Jeff Trebino, I uh, actually saw you one night at one of those comedy nights at Williams Pub where I played Tuesday nights for four years. I hate to say they've, they've you, you probably know they've recently shut down last week, but I do have a little uh, personal connection with Corks because Corky, the, I, I, I'm forgetting his last name now. He bartended at Nines where I also played for three and a half years and he was the guy I didn't realize until later in life when, when we, we got to be good friends that that was his place. Corks at, at Fauché oh, Tower. Yeah, 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 yeah. Turkey, oh my it, goodness, yeah, it, uh, yeah, yeah. He uh, he was pretty happy with us that night. We we carried on the show after that, but Monday night was a good night to do a show. So it lasted about a month or so, you know. But we do uh, we were kind of dedicated to Finns. We weren't going to jump ship or anything like that. But it was a much much nicer room than Mickey Finns, I might add, to perform in. So we <laughs> we kind of got a taste for what a better room looked like, you know, because the logistics of Mickey Finns weren't the greatest. But it was our ugly little home. And uh, we were proud of it, you know, and it was uh, a, unique, a unique time. You know, the 70s going into the 80s were the last age of uh, experimentalism, you know, and we mm-hmm. we were certainly experimenting. And we're all very diverse group. We're all very different from each other. Uh, you know, Scott and Louie would occasionally fight over fat jokes, but, you know, <laughs> that was right, about it. Right. You know, but uh, yeah, we're all very neat. Our acts were different and and Louis was in the middle of that mix, and he was smart, sharp, and uh, his friendly thing is one thing. Is you got to be a bit of a barracuda in this business, and Louis has sure. barracuda in him. A lot of people have been throwing out the laurel wreath, and I'm as a long, you know, guy who knew him for forty three years. I don't want to take any of that away, like because he's built that legacy. But there is also a dark side, and when I say dark side, I mean it in a good way. It's that ability to, hey, that guy doesn't like me, you know, and I'm going to keep an eye out for that guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to show him who I am. He's going to get to see who I am. But if he continues to mess with me, I'll let him know that that ain't cool. And uh, Louis had his 
vendettas, you know, uh, over the years. <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, my favorite one is the fact that he, uh, Jim McCauley, the gateway to the Tonight Show, he was the talent coordinator. Okay. And Louis got pissed. Yeah, Louis got pissed, and uh, he had a tape when he was doing a little documentary on Louis one time, and he had them visit Jim McCauley, and he just looked at the camera and said. He's not right for this show. He's never going to be right for this show. And I just don't think he's the kind of act that works on The Tonight Show. And then Louis proceeded to show all the introductions that Johnny would do over the years. <laughs> Here's uh-huh. a break, young Louis Anderson. Here's making his third appearance with us, Louis Anderson. Making sixth <laughs> appearance, Louis Anderson. And he would go back, loop it back to Jim McCauley going, he'll never be right for The Tonight Show. And uh, I know for a fact, he always said he never sent it to him, but I have it on unequivocal, unequivocal knowledge from Mr. McCauley himself, who, who came out to see me several times. Uh, and he said, yeah, you know, he sent me that tape. <laughs> so oh, funny. He it. And that, to me, I was like, Louie, I just love you more for doing that because everybody hated him. The late, great Bob Saget was an, uh, not a fan of Jim McCauley either. Friend of Louie, friend of mine. And, and, and Bob used to say, I, I, I still have to go over my material, even though I'm a national TV show. I still have to talk through what I'm going to say with that clown. Wow. <laughs> like, well, he was a tough nut. Yeah, and Louis, Louis handled him. Give credit. That was Louis' toughest, toughest thing. He had to Paul vault over Jim McCauley to get in, because McCauley wasn't for him, but other people on The Tonight Show had kind of heard about him and saw him on the Young Comedian special. And they basically said, why are you blocking this guy? And, well, uh, Jeff Turbino, Louis Talent overcame. You know, Jeff, you, Jeff Turbino, you know more than anybody how tough uh, the entertainment business, especially the comedy business, is. So we got about a minute left. So tell us, as a friend of Louis Anderson's and watching his career from the very beginning uh, to the end, when he's you know winning Emmy awards and he's playing Vegas and he's uh, hosting game shows. What did it mean to you as Louis Anderson's friend to see that? Well, I, I told Louis the same thing I told Scott a few days before he passed on. I did not know that Louis was going to pass on. It was, you know, five days later. But I said, Louis, you got to do it all, you know, and we got to do some of it all, you know. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we uh, we raised families. You know, we got to live and visit places that nobody else ever got to live, you know. Uh, we literally lived by our wits. How many people can say that? And Louis, you know what? Just want you to know. I said, you did it all. And there's nothing more that can be said. You know, nothing can ever be taken away from your legacy. And I know he, he started to cry. I started to cry. But it was a great moment. And for a great Sam, man. Someone I'm proud to call my friend. Jeff Trebino, this is a great way to end the show. This tribute to Louis Anderson with our guest Marty Keller, Liz Winstead, and the great Jeff Trebino. Jeff, thanks for sharing these stories, your love for the man, and uh, good luck to you, and I hope to see you down the road. Yeah, I'll be back in the Twin Cities sooner or later. Right now I'm down in Florida, God's waiting room. <laughs> okay, Jeff. Thanks so right, much, thank man. You. I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> okay, brother. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick Lilia. We'd like to thank our guests, Liz Winstead, Jeff Gerbino, and Marty Keller, and a very heartful tribute to the late, great Louis Anderson. My book, Alphabet Jazz, is coming out in March. Poetry, prose, stories, and songs. 
Follow me at paulmetzer.com to find out more about that. And remember, like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Power brokers, the wall of power.